Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. I've got my long johns on under a flannel shirt. My swampers are next to the door. And my toque is riding high on my receding hairline. You don't need to be Mr. Green in the study with a candlestick to follow those clues to know we've reached late season in pheasant country. The birds that are still out there, particularly the roosters on public lands, are the cagey ones who have outsmarted each and every one of us till this point. Today, we're going to chat about tips for outsmarting those late season roosters who have a, a brain the size of a peanut, by the way, with uh, two of our podcasting regulars, uh, our women on the wing and path to the uplands leader, Marissa Jensen, and the editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal, Tom Carp Carpenter. So speaking of path to the uplands, uh, I'd like to give a shout out and a thank you to uh, the sponsors of this podcast and our Path to the Uplands content series, Sound Gear Hearing Protection, Sport Dog Electronic Dog Training Collars and um, Training Systems, Alps Outdoors, and Federal Ammunition. Thank you to those sponsors who have been bringing us path to the uplands content the entire year and for uh, be investing into our philosophy of bringing along the next generation of hunters and conservationists so without further ado marissa and carp welcome back to the podcast let's uh let's let's talk about um where you where you both have been hunting most recently and um, I know we'll 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 uh, we'll let Marissa go first because she I know she was out um, out and about this past weekend and caught a great photo hunting with her camera more than a shotgun, um, which is which is just fine because it was an epic photo. Tell us about that picture, Marissa. Yeah, thank you. So um, for individuals who know me, they I just I love wildlife. I love photography. I love the grasslands. And I love owls. And so um, I actually went and saw a snowy owl for the very first time ever um, uh, <laughs> this this weekend. And it was pretty remarkable. I, I shared on my Twitter page, um, I was wearing, and I'm, I'm pretty positive the only reason I saw this owl was because I was wearing my Trampled by Pheasants sweatshirt, which has a uh, snowy owl and a pheasant on the on the sweatshirt so i was pretty excited i felt like it, it set the mood it set the vibes and i was able to see her um, and it, it was just a really cool experience it, um for folks that maybe don't know so trampled by pheasants is a membership collaboration with the band trampled by turtles who's fantastic and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh they're from duluth minnesota um and one of the iconic graphics of the band is a snowy owl which um oftentimes this time of year um erupt uh which 
biologically, I think is the correct term. Eruption um, year, yeah. It's eruption year where snowy owls come out of the Arctic and uh, show up pretty frequently around Minnesota. Not so frequently, it'd be my guess, in, in Nebraska where you're at. Yeah, we we see them every once in a while, but it's usually one or two, maybe, you know, juveniles that make its way down here. Um, but we do have short-eared owls, which I, I frequently mm. see in the grasslands when I'm I'm upland hunting. So I I always love that. That's that's one of my favorites just because it's, you know, another iconic species of the grasslands. Cool. Well, if folks um, are listening and want to see a little bit more about what we're talking about, we do have a really limited edition collaborative t-shirt that Hunt to Eat designed. And it's a collaboration with Pheasants Forever and Trampled by Turtles, a la Trampled by Pheasants. And uh, their lead singer, Dave Simonette, happens to be an adult onset hunter. So it's a perfect transition for this uh, Path to the Uplands conversation. But you can check out that t-shirt and that special limited edition membership offer at pheasantsforever.org slash trampled. And when we ordered it, I think we ordered 144 t-shirts. So there's it's super limited edition. So if you're a trampled by uh, Turtles fan, get on line right away and uh, get that ordered up. Um, Carp, I know, I know you were out in South Dakota over the weekend doing some late season pheasant hunting. Tell us about how did you see any snowy owls while you're out there? Let's answer that first. I have seen them out there, but not this trip. I, they're they're really cool. Uh, yeah. It's interesting to hear there's an eruption this year. I did not see any, but. Uh, I saw a good number of pheasants. I've been hunting. I was in South Dakota this past weekend, and the weekend before that, I was in in Minnesota, which was maybe a better barometer because uh, that was all public land hunting of uh, of of what late season is. And uh, Marissa loves a lot of things, and I, I just love shooting pheasants. So that's what I was up. That's what I was doing. <laughs> and uh, do you see a fair number of birds out that way? Uh, South Dakota, yes, uh, it was it was a great hunt out there. Um, but uh, we hit, we had a couple days on private land, and that's a little different than I think I've hunted pheasants twenty six days this year, and four of them have been had a trip on private land. So twenty two twenty two of them have been on public, and it's going to be public the rest of the way for me. Yeah. So I, I, your your timeline or I guess philosophy I think probably mirrors mine in that I hunt almost exclusively public land 95% of the season um, but any cherries of private land access I that I have um, I try to use them up at the end and thinking that, you know, the birds are pushed around pretty significantly on public land throughout the season. So, you know, when I get the those generous invitations to go hunt on private land and I can use them in into uh, late December or January, then that's that's a timing I like to to do because there's it, it just sort of um, lines up with. Um, how much pressure there exists on, on, on public land. Is that something that you deliberately tried to do? Yeah, that was, that was, this, it was, this was that 
Pheasants Forever friend of Pheasants Forever, Eric Johansson, who is sort of our poster child for production agriculture, i.e. grain crop and cattle. Uh, so it involves grazing as well. Uh, he's sort of the poster child for uh, combining production agriculture with wildlife production. And um, it's, a, it's a special event to be able to go out there and hunt with him. And it's sort of after his pheasant hunting clients have left. So I will say this, it is, uh, while there are good numbers of birds out there, they are educated because they've been hunted for six weeks every week for three to four days a week. So it's not public land hunting, but they are educated uh, getting toward the, toward somewhat toward the level of the public land rooster. So yeah, it's definitely a, it's definitely a, an end of season. Um, it's definitely an end of season treat. I'll say yeah. on the way out, we hunted public on the way out and didn't get a bird on, on an afternoon hunting. Uh, and this was in North central South Dakota. And then on the way back, uh, hunted public and got two birds. That's a that's maybe a little more reminiscent of the realities of late season public land hunting. Yeah. Um, at this moment, I just I want to thank uh, On X Maps, uh, national sponsor of uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And uh, if you're looking for the intersection of public land and private land, look no further than the Onyx Hunt app. It's the number one GPS hunting map for bird hunters. And with um, the code pheasants or quail, you can uh, sign up and get 20% off your subscription to Onyx at onyxhunt.com. Pheasants or quail. So we're going to dive into the meat of the episode right away here. Um, late season pheasant hunting tips. And, and Carp, you wrote a blog here recently for our Path to the Uplands content series called The Path to Late Season Pheasant Hunting Success. In it, you, you write, everything you need to know about finding late season pheasants, I can tell you in two sentences. And they are important ones. Well, they better be important ones, Carp, if it's two sentences. But they are not rocket science. And, and, and uh, the two places you tell people to focus on, Carp, are <laughs> quintessential words from Carpier. Number one, hell holes, which uh, which we'll break down a little bit, right? Uh, and then food. So uh, we're gonna start with the <laughs> with the uh, the carp vernacular hell holes. For a, a normal audience, what are you talking about, carp? I think the key phrase, the key word in that sentence is finding. I think. In our discussion today, we're going to talk a lot more about how you hunt late season pheasants, because I think finding them isn't rocket science. And that comes down to hell holes. And what the hell hole means to me is if you're having fun walking through it, it's probably not late season pheasant cover. Late season pheasants just aren't in the types of places you, you find them earlier in the season. It's cold. It's often snowy, and, and frankly, we probably, as late season, serious late-season pheasant hunters, hope for that snow at some level. Not so much you can't walk in and walk out, but it, or, it, or that it, it's pressuring the birds, their health. But what you want is some weather that's going to send them to places you can find them. You know, what 
what what's a hellhole? It can be it can be a, any number of things depending on where you hunt. Most of us here in the northern plains, in the places where where I hunt and, and Bob you hunt and and a lot of PF members hunt, Minnesota, Iowa, North and South Dakota, it's cattails. Those cattail sloughs and edges, and those are those are the key. Those are the ticket. Another one is willow and shrubs, bottoms, places lower out of the wind that have woody cover. I mean, that's another good late season type hell hole. You can also find them on the northern fringes of range, particularly particularly in like Minnesota, in tag alders and where there's wooded cover, where there's more woodlots and areas. Go to those places. You might almost look for rough grouse sometimes they need cover and you need to be in places that aren't fun to walk through and frankly they're not fun for your dog to hunt through but uh it's got to be a rough place uh and and that's what i mean by hell holes if you're having fun walking through it if it's a pleasant walk in the daisies it's probably not a late season spot yeah i think about uh you talk about cattails being sort of number one in the northern fringe and um, I know you didn't bring up Nebraska when you're talking about cattails because there's not as many cattails in Nebraska. But I remember on Rooster Road Trip, Marissa, probably, I don't know, what year was that, 2018? That uh, yeah. You brought us right to a waterfowl production area in, in west central Nebraska, and it had cattails and that's where the birds are when when carp says hellhole as a nebraskan what you know beyond cattails what are you thinking about what what areas do you think about going to yeah you know definitely i'll i'll jump on the cattail bandwagon here um and it's been it's been a weird year where we haven't had a lot of like really hard freezes and i hunt waterfowl production areas almost primarily mm. um all year round just because of where i'm located and what's near me and so you better put on some muck boots or wading boots um, because it hasn't frozen enough where it's still very wet, but mm. the birds are definitely in there. Um, you know, the other thing that I'll look for is, you know, really, really thick, um, you know, grass that's kind of been laid over from the wind where those little guys just get buried deep in there where you could literally about step on them and they're not going to move because they know that they're, you know, hidden undercover. The dogs have a hard time smelling them. Um, that's an area that I'll just really take my time and walk a lot slower in that thick grass that's kind of blown over uh, and really let the dogs work the scent. And I don't know that I would call it a hellhole, but one area that I really like to target, it can be if there's enough of them, um, but I really like to target uh, really any time of year, but especially in the winter as cover gets a little bit more scarce, especially if there's been a lot of snow, um, is, you know, sunflower stalks. Mm -hmm. They'll really hide in there to get away from birds of prey and kind of tuck themselves in there, um, you know, for food source as well. So if I see uh, a long patch of, you know, sunflower stocks, I'm definitely going to be walking that. Right on. I was thinking exactly what you were with uh, sunflower stocks, a uh, compass plant, cup mm -hmm. plants, um, some, you know, a lot of those pollinator um, plants that do have a woodier structure to them. And they do, especially vertical structure where they stand up to the wind and the snow and the rain um that they can be very good 
particularly in places like Nebraska, Kansas, as you head further south, and they have more and more sunflowers. They could be great for pheasants, great for quail. Mm-hmm. And um, I do, you know, folks have heard me talk ad nauseum about protecting dogs and, you know, Sunflower stalks can be dangerous on, on pups and cause um, uh, oh, injuries, for lack of a better term. So putting on a dog vest, uh, I think, is very beneficial when you're hunting some of that cover. Honestly, cattails can be the same way. Shelter belts are the same way. Thickets are the same way. So, um, you know, get a, get a nice dog vest from Silmar or Kuga and uh, then go jump into carp's hell holes <laughs> and find the, the other, birds. The other one we didn't mention that's important, especially as we talk about, you know, we, we've talked a lot, we're talking a lot about where winter gets really bad, the Dakotas, Minnesota, Eastern Montana. But we, we since we're talking toward the South, let's not forget about plum thickets mm-hmm. and other woody cover down in as anywhere really, but especially as you get down into Kansas and Nebraska, and you might even find some quail there too, but it's that woody cover. And I also like what you guys started talking about all the pollinator plants. I mean, it's not necessarily only cattails, especially the far north you go, but if the snow hasn't inundated it, and Marissa brought it up too, just because something is bent over doesn't mean there aren't birds underneath it mm-hmm. and uh in fact i, I saw that in nebraska once at a, uh, so, oh, oh imagine this a, a place marissa also uh put me on with, <laughs> with uh with her cousin shane and we went there and we went there after a blizzard went through and we were walking like the moonscape it was like mm. blue stem blown over and my dog pointed and of course, I'm like, yeah, all right. And I walked in and the biggest rooster I ever saw, and I was just like flat footed. They were just burrowing under that mm. under that blue stem. Why? Probably because now there were cattails there, but probably because they were just like, oh my God, what just happened? And they were still, <laughs> they were still in there after the blizzard. Um, so I'll say that as well. That it, it's not just a cattail game, but it's it's cover. That's that they can get around either within or underneath, and it's never fun to walk. Yeah. Well, the second component in your article for finding birds is food. And the first thing I think about as we transition from thermal cover, <laughs> vertical structure, aka carp's vernacular hell holes, and we transition to food, the first thing I think about is sorghum. Uh, we've talked about it on this podcast before. Sorghum has food inherent, right? And it's got those seeds, those berries, and they're tall structure, vertical structure uh, stalks that stand up to the wind. And it's the foundation for our blizzard buster seed mix that our biologists created years ago. Blizzard buster features sorghum. It's a perfect blend of thermal cover and food all in one thing. When you're thinking about food carp, late season birds, what do you key in on from a food perspective? Well, especially what we're talking public land hunting, um, you know, if there's a food plot around with sorghum in it, uh, that's always a good, that's a good goal, a good target, a good place to go to find birds. I also think it attracts a lot of other hunters. 
Uh, so my my go-to is stubble, corn stubble, or first corn stubble, second wheat stubble. Our friend Eric Johansson out in 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 South Dakota would say wheat stubble too, uh, but wheat stubble yeah. is harder and harder to come by in this day and age. Maybe the farther west you go on the pheasant range, the more you'll find. But that's sort of my priority is corn stubble, soybean stubble, and wheat stubble. A standing cornfield might do you some good for feeding birds, but you're, it's going to be awfully tough to hunt them in that. Now, I guess one of the biggest questions to me with food is, does it need to be right next to the cover or can it be somewhat of a distance away? A mile is probably too much. Right next to it is ideal so they can walk back and forth. Uh, but a flying distance is maybe best. I mean, I saw it on public lands in South Dakota yesterday, pheasants flying out of cattail hell holes and into stubble, I would say 200, 300 yards away and feeding out there. And then they've got a quick flight back. I've seen it in Iowa in late season, 30, 40 birds out in the stubble. Uh, oh, by the way, probably 200 yards from the nearest stitch of cover because at that point their protection is distance and eyesight and it there, there's no way to approach them so corn stubble is it you can find birds and do it and, and we'll talk about it a little more they don't have to be right next to that food source but there's got to be some in the area i.e a flight a short flight away uh, so that that's sort of that's that's as simple as I can say it. Find corn grain stubble, and it's got to be within a flight away of the cover you're hunting. As a hunter based out of Nebraska, um, Marissa, what what do you key in on? Because the crops change, right? The crops change from yeah. north to south, and that means um, the food changes north to south a little bit. Yeah, so we do have um, our Open Fields and Waters program, which is our public access program um, with uh, Pheasants Forever and Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. Um, we do have wheat stubble that you can, um, that landowners enroll and that there's a specific guide out. So the further you go west, there's more of that available. And it's kind of an untapped potential. A lot of people don't uh, pick up that extra atlas and, and see that those properties are available um, and then, you know, more in the east and I mean, really across the state, but, um, you know, we've got uh, rotation between corn and soybean. We do have some food plots with sorghum. Um, as Carp mentioned, those are typically targeted pretty heavily on public lands by hunters. Um, and so it does take a little bit of, of scouting. I think I found a new property this year, um, really recently enrolled into um public access and there's a lot of corn nearby and the birds were really moving kind of different times than I'm used to. And there was um, just a lot of, a lot of food source. There was cattails on the property. And so one day I was driving home and they just started running across the road. I was so ticked and I had to be <laughs> home and I'm like, okay. So the next time I, you know, made sure to go out around that time when I saw them moving back and forth and so a little bit of scouting goes a long way with those plots as well. Um, you know, and just if you're going to hunt some of those areas where you've got rows of crops, uh, get your running shoes on because mm -hmm. even when it's cold, these educated birds will, will try and give you the sneak and <laughs> learn when your dog's getting on one and kind of see where their escape route might be. 
um, and see if you can kind of pinch them off a little bit. So I'm going to call out to our listeners and circle back on one of the first things you said, Marissa, because it was an absolute gem. So I'm going to highlight it for folks. Um, you talked about the wheat stubble, and particularly in Nebraska, you got to pick up an extra atlas. And if you're like me and you've hunted Nebraska or Kansas, which have um, significant wheat stub, stubble walking programs, you're like, oh, gosh, I hate hunting wheat stubble. And I do. I hate it. But if you can find those properties that are wheat stubble, but then at look at Onyx, get that Onyx app and look and find those ravines, those hollows of habitat in the middle of these fields or a stream in the middle of a wheat field. If you can find this, that like secure little Valhalla of habitat within a wheat stubble field, oh, it, yeah. it can be like finding a opening gate chunk of habitat that's never been hunted before for pheasants and for quail particularly oh, yeah. in nebraska and kansas yeah i think when we did a rooster road trip the last time in nebraska we hunted wheat stubble and found quite a few i think a couple different coveys of quail mm -hmm. um kind of tucked into those little areas and yeah it's it's a beautiful sight <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you a lot of them uh, and, and again we've talked about this on the podcast before you can't see some of those little chunks of habitat from the road, but pull mm -hmm. up on X and you're like, Oh, and here's a wheat stubble program. Oh, huh, what's this draw running through the middle of it? That is where you should drive your truck park and walk to first. Cause if you can it's find a those, draw, it, it's a, it's a <laughs> Christmas miracle to find those little spots. All right. Um, shout out to South Dakota. Make next fall your best season yet in South Dakota by winning their Hunt the Greatest giveaway. Learn more for a chance to win free Shields gear in an epic pheasant hunt at HuntTheGreatest.com. All right, we're going to transition, Carp, to, to away from finding the birds to your blog. Um, it talks more about now how to hunt them. And you break that up into two pieces, mindset and mechanics. So mindset, um, Carp, you write, don't succumb to the birds, to the mentality that the birds are all shot out. And, oh, they're so wild, I can never get close to them. There are roosters out there. You just have to go about it with a strong mind. So you have three elements here, Carp. Number one, effort in miles. Pretty straightforward, but put put a little color behind those words. You know, as I look at it, as I think about my mindset, effort and miles, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll us a little different direction, Bob. Effort and miles is one, and having reasonable goals is another, and enjoying the hunt is third. But I, I would like to order them with the first. The first one I want to talk about is reasonable goals. And by that, I mean, you don't want to think, oh, I have to get a limit to make this a successful hunt. Mm -hmm. That's not what late season hunting is about. Late season hunting is about one bird, and we'll talk a little about 
a little bit more about that. It's about that warrior rooster, that one bird. It's enjoying being out there and being hunting. And that sort of brings us to number two. And we can go into more detail on the, on all these is just enjoy the hunt. What, why, if it, if, if you can get yourself a nice day or you you can plan a trip, you know, it's two weeks out and you're excited to do it, do it. Why wait for next October and nice weather and why sit on the couch? So have reasonable goals, enjoy the hunt. And then we come to effort and miles. And that sort of was going to lead into some of the other things we're going to talk about. But it's it's a simple equation. It Once again, it's not rocket science. There are fewer birds out there, fewer roosters out there. That's just math. It's simple math. It's public lands. They've been hunted. Birds are pressured. And there's ways to get around that or ways to trick them. And we'll talk about that. But there's also, that said, there are still birds out there and it's only effort and miles that get you there. It's all about mindset. Uh, so that, that's sort of, that's sort of the, the nutshell of mindset is just be happy to be out there. Be happy to be hunting. Expect to walk a lot, a long way. And don't, 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 don't measure the day's worth by number of birds in the bag or even if there's a bird in the bag. Although I will say... We all want to get one bird, and that's sort of my goal. <laughs> so, Carp, I, I think about it as you're explaining that, and I think about you know, our path to the uplands, right? And how, how many years, not I, not to talk about your age for very long, but you're a veteran, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're a very seasoned bird hunter who, who can, you know, squeak out a bird in the toughest of conditions, right? So you've yeah. been hunting, you've been hunting three plus decades, right? I'm in my 48th pheasant season. So you've, you're, you're, uh, you're a very seasoned bird hunter and your expectations are, are probably different than a new hunter, right? Because yes. a new hunter, I think what you just explained about late season goals, I think are really, that's a really important perspective that all hunters should have particularly new hunters and that's reasonable goals like the you know going into even opening day expecting a limit is having kind of a misguided perspective about what hunting should really be all about marissa does that resonate with you as the the quarterback of path to the uplands a hundred percent, you know, and and obviously most people probably know, but I have a, a different background than Carp and you, Bob. And, you know, this is probably, I don't know, only my sixth year in the field mm -hmm. and um, didn't grow up hunting or shooting. And it's, I think one, one thing that is really neat about upland hunting and really all hunting, whether it's early season or late season is, um, getting to know the habitat and the wildlife. And some of the things that we're talking about are things that you learn as you pay more attention mm -hmm. to these upland birds. Where are they going? Well, why? Why are they going into that thermal area? Why are they eating this? Um, and it just makes you feel so much more connected to the wildlife, like wild places and wildlife. And I just think we all need a little bit more of that connection to the land. We've, we've just continued to get more and more removed from it. And so hunting gives you that opportunity to just connect back to it. And that alone makes it worthwhile to me. 
Um, I love it when there's a bird in my vest. I'm very excited, mm. probably more for my dog's sake than mine, because um, they've earned it time and time again. But um, really just, you know, as Carp said, don't let weather, don't let, you know, anything get in the way of if you have the opportunity to get outside, take that because that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. um, so get out there and enjoy it when you can. Oh, I, I'm showing Marissa and Bob right now my health app on my phone. It measures my steps. <laughs> okay. Here's, a, here's an example of what Marissa's talking about. The number is 26,324. That represents, that is the number of steps I took to shoot my most recent late season public land rooster last two weekends ago in far western Minnesota. 26,324 steps for me translates into about 11 miles. Mm -hmm. And don't even bring in the dog equation, whether it's double that or whatever. And so at some point in this podcast, I'll tell the story of that bird, but that's the late season mentality is I'm not out there to shoot a limit. I'm out there to get that late season trophy bird. And I'll tell you what, that bird was, is, you know, you can only hold so many memories in your head. I mean, I can tell you about every pheasant I've ever shot in my life, and we won't get into that because I have them all recorded and enumerated and logged. But this is one that I don't need to check back to that log for. And that's what you're hunting for. <laughs> well, we're, we're not going to commercial break, so you don't have to tease the listeners. Go ahead and tell the story. <laughs> well, I, I thought it would make a good sum, sum up, but I, I, it's, it's not magic. And that, that's what late season is not about magic. It's about making your own luck. And what did my dad always say? He said, you make your own luck. You just go and you, you hunt, you walk. And sooner or later, you're going to run across one. And I, I can tell a lot of stories, but this one is pretty simple. I started out, and this goes back to some of our other tips that we've talked about in previous podcasts for public land birds. And that is, I found a big, a big complex. Mm. And this was on the northern fringe of pheasant range in Minnesota. It's, it's out of that southern range where, frankly, the hunting is probably as good as anywhere. This is in the north. And, it's, and this is a wintertime bird in the north country. I picked out a big complex and I simply hunted all day. It's rolling country. We went in and out of hollows. We went through hell holes. We went through willow thickets. We went through cattails and we're, we found a few birds. And I will say uh, sort of a side note, it was a day that was very challenging because I dropped a rooster in about midday in some cattails and we went over there and the thing started fluttering and the dog was on it. And I thought I couldn't shoot it again. And it got its wings back and flew away. You hmm. talk about dejection. I had probably put in six, seven miles at that point. Now that's not a wonderful story to tell, but it's reality. Cause if, mm -hmm. if you, if anybody tells me they've never lost a pheasant, I'll say, I'll tell them you, you, well, you probably haven't been pheasant hunting much. And that hurts and it's hard. And we hunted for another hour to try and find it. It flew into a shelter belt. It was nowhere to be found. I told myself, man, maybe it survived, but maybe it didn't, you know, that's hard. 
Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing to deal with. In late season, it's a doubly hard thing to see because mm-hmm. we've been walking for five hours at that point. We ended up two miles later back at the car. We drove around. We found three spots. And I'm like, which one do I do? Which one do I do? And I picked one where there was an access that I, I didn't, I hadn't, it was, a, and it's by, oh, by the way, a PF acquisition. And I parked and nobody had been there and there had been snow two days before. And that was, that was fun. That was nice. And I got in there and we walked and we walked and we walked and there's about a half an hour of daylight left. And the dog was, we're on the seam between blue stem and cattails. We're working into the wind. 150 yards behind us was corn stubble. And I saw tracks in the snow and my dog turned into the cattails and she pointed one, two, three, four times, locked up. I walked in and I don't know, I didn't think this time, all of a sudden there's just a rooster on the ice Mm. and after it flushed and after, and I'm holding up my phone again, there's probably 5,000 steps out, 26,000 steps. We had that rooster just like that easy as pie. <laughs> but why was it easy as pie? Because we worked, we worked, we worked, we hunted, we went through everything, and we found we found the right bird. We found the right bird. And oh, by the way, it happened to be at the right time of day, and it held for a point. And I'll never forget that bird. And I tell you, the the bottoms, the meat on the bottoms of my feet was t- was sore the next day. But boy, that <laughs> felt good. And Carpe, you brought up a really good point too. Um, you know, you mentioned that there wasn't a lot of access at that site. Like, I, I'm I'm guessing that you meant like the approach to it. And yeah, we, we went in for, and we're getting into some other tips now that are even beyond late season. But we went in from a direction that I guarantee you nobody ever went into. Um, and at least from what I could see, it was there was a sign there. There was a section line road and the section line road had a posted sign, but I know it was a public section line road. And I think that scared everybody away. I parked on the other road that it was a crossroads there. I parked on, on the public road and went in down that section line road on the public land and then cut in. And I, I think we're coming at it from a direction nobody ever came at it before. There was, oh, by the way, corn stubble there and there's cattails and there's blue stems still standing despite two, three inches of snow. And we we found a bird after all those miles. But it was that it was that whole combination. And we're gonna get into mechanics here. Uh, but it was it was the place and it was the mindset that brought me to that bird. And there's a few mechanics which we'll talk about. It it's the opposite of the hell hole. It's the honey hole. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Oh, believe me, it's it's on my onyx. And I'll just I'll just, you know, Bob's Bob talks about finding those onyx spots. I mean, it, it, it's it, late season hunting. It, Onyx is so important. You get mm-hmm. on there, you can look at a spot. I mean, I can tell you what's on a spot just by looking at Onyx. And it's like, what are we going to hunt? Well, it looks like crop fields here. It's owned by landowner ABC. I know what's crop. And by the way, I, I haven't figured it out yet, but I know there's a crop app on there now uh, feature, but you don't, you, I don't even need it. Even with Onyx elite, I can tell where the crops are. I can look at the public land and I can find cattail sloughs and willow tangles and and hell holes and it's it's just 
you you can do a lot of scouting uh, laying in bed at night with your on X, which is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to just put a bow on this section of, about mindset, though, you know, you think about CARP 48 years of experience, Marissa, six years of experience, and, and it does come back to enjoying the hunt and having reasonable expectations, you know, and, and realistically, you know, we're all out there doing this. We don't need to put a pheasant on the table in 2022 to survive, but it's the best meal you're going to eat all year. And that, you know, when carp, you know, walks 26,000 steps for that bird, the meal, the sustenance that that bird provides in the life that that bird lived through quality habitat restoration that this organization does is that those are the memorable meals and it makes it so worthwhile. And that's for so many people that are new hunters, that connection to the food in the deeper connection, which, which carp, which you talked about to the land. And then the process of understanding, yeah, this episode is about meat season pheasant hunting tips, but it's not, it's so much more than that. And that's what path to the uplands pheasants forever and conservation is all about. It is about, connecting to the land and all the leopolds in every book he's ever written right in every thought process how the our habitat mission connects to the land connects to better water quality healthier soils more wildlife and cleaner more organically produced food that we all put on our plates and enjoy the relationships with each other and with our bird dogs. And ultimately, you know, it was a little bit long-winded, but that's what Path to the Upland is all about, passing on that perspective um, from one hunter to another. And that's a perfect time for us to mention Alps Outdoors Mentor Pledge, as uh, we do want everybody to take this pledge. Um, we've got a hundred and 30,000 Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever members out there. Replicate yourselves. Find somebody to mentor by taking the Alps Outdoor Challenge. Go to pheasantsforever.org slash mentor pledge or quailforever.org slash mentor pledge. can win all sorts of great prizes, but most importantly, you're helping to pass on our lifestyle of bird hunting and conservation to a new audience. All right, so let's move to mechanics, the how of late season bird hunting. We've talked about the goals. We've talked about the philosophy. We've talked about finding birds. We're going to get into the nitty gritty. Um, and, and this is number one on Carp's list. Okay, so he's got, again, Mr. Listicle here. Carp always... Always rides with list, which make, makes a for a podcaster's dream. Um, but you and I, well, let's just say I struggle with number one on your list. <laughs> so number one, carp, hunt slow. Talk about hunting slow. I, I guess the and and now we get into that nitty gritty, which which Bob and I think Marissa to some extent know that I love is. You know, I don't do everything the same way all the time when I hunt pheasants, but I do have, I have developed a, an approach and in late season, 
this part of my approach, yeah, it, it grows. And by grows, I mean, I, I purposefully make myself follow it even more and that's go slow. So I, I get, it's sort of funny, it grows, but it means even slower. <laughs> I am a, I am a big believer in hunting slow, especially in late season. And, and I guess we, we can talk a little about about the why. And that one is just my approach. I my my little dog, as most people know, is a little French Brittany. I keep her close. We hunt close. She's almost always in pheasant country within flushing range because pheasants don't cooperate and they flush when they're being worked sometimes. And and I'm not a purist. Uh, especially in late season, I want to kill a bird. That's what you were out there for. We're out there for all the reasons, but if you get a chance at a bird, you got to take it. But I hunt slow because these birds are going to do one of two things. I believe there's runners and there's hiders and they do cross over. They do both, but the farther the fat and, and Bob's going to have some other, uh, probably have some other uh, corollaries to this, but the harder you push them, the farther they go and the faster they go. And the slower you go, and we're going to add some other ideas to slow, that's number two and three. The slower you go, the more you keep them guessing and the fewer birds you're going to walk past. I'd love, and I, I wrote down some words here. Bob probably thought as we we're talking about uh, the intro to this, I was doing something else, but I was writing down, what do I do? What does slow mean? Think about these words. I mosey, I crawl, I linger, I hesitate, and I molasses, molasses in January. <laughs> I sort of ooze. I, I will stand, I will stand and let that dog just go and do its thing and i'll tell a brief story from from this past weekend south dakota hard hunted pheasants but it was in a sorghum patch i took an hour to hunt about a 200 yard long patch of sorghum the guys the other guys waited at the end and they left i i had two and they 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 texted me yeah we'll come back later and i uh i shot two roosters because I was just oozing along and letting that dog figure out <laughs> where those birds were. So I, I don't always go that slow. That's an extreme, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of other examples. Uh, just yesterday, public land, South Dakota, James River bottoms, just hell holes. And I, I, I didn't cover much ground at all, but I found, I didn't get any, but I found birds by just, well, we're getting into the other one now into some other tips, but I go slow. And I think it's very important because I think those those late season birds are either going to run ahead and go or they're going to sloop around and go back to you. And we're going to talk about that stuff. And uh, I, so, I, I like to go slow. So go ahead and go through all three of yours, because I think that Marissa and I hunt similarly and I think I can string them all together. Uh, but you go, and, and I'm putting words in Marissa's mouth and she's grinning. But go ahead and run through all three of yours, Carp. And then I want to come back to Marissa and see if I've accurately assessed how how she hunts. They all, they all I, I use the word ooze. That's a new one, Bob. We'll have to keep that one going. <laughs> we'll, use, 
we'll use ooze together. Uh, <laughs> or maybe, or maybe we won't. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but number yeah. two on your list. Hunt, hunt slow. Yeah, as you saw, as you heard, I couldn't hardly talk about hunting slow without bringing these, the other, mm-hmm. the next idea right. is, and that is keep the birds guessing and side trips. Mm-hmm. I don't walk a straight line. I never walk a straight line. I hate straight lines. I love here. Oh, here's, here's another list. Zig, zag, meander, <laughs> wander, scour, explore, mm-hmm. try. You, th- those birds are, those birds don't run a straight line. I can guarantee you. Uh, unless until that dog really has them running, uh, and that, and then they're going out. So think about those, think about the side trips Yeah. So one is hunt slow and two is side trips or zigzag, meander, wander, scour, explore, try, you know, I, I'd almost go some, I, for me, it will come down to sometimes I say, I'll, it'll be as simple as God, that little patch of cattails looks good. There's some weeds over and it, it's just a little different than everything else mm-hmm. and we'll go hunt it. And you know, how many times we get a bird out of it? Maybe once out of 10, once out of 12, but boy, is it worth it. And what else are you going to do? Why, why, why blow through that cover? Just mm-hmm. go, just keep scouring and, and going slow and meandering and the side trips. The third one, and this is an extreme side trip. And I'm going to tell you a story here. This was southwestern Minnesota two or three weeks ago. Uh, my boy and I were hunting. My I call him my boy, my youngest son. He's 23. But we hunted uh, and, and we, we talked about great big places. This was a little itty bitty place with some wonderful private, private habitat around it. I'm not even going to say how many acres it was because there might be a way you can look it up. But it was public land, two sides of a creek. And we went up one side of the creek and we did get a rooster there. And I got that one by meandering. We went, we, we actually worked it. So we're probably working 13 acres. I bet it took us 45 minutes to work that. And we, we got a second rooster in this little itty bitty place. And it was a hell hole of willows and switchgrass, you know, just that type of stuff. You just look and shake your head and go, oh my God, if I'm going to get a rooster, this is where I have to go today. We went back to the vehicle, fortified ourselves with peanut butter and jelly, uh, <laughs> took a little rest, walked down, down the road we were on, uh, along another road to cross the creek, you couldn't cross it, and went up the other side. Found, pointed a couple of hands. We worked for probably 20 minutes, and we finally got to a spot where the, the cover had sort of petered out. And... Uh, to give you a description, there are probably two fresh inches of snow on the ground, a few tracks around. We started back through the exact cover we had hunted, exact same cover, just took a little different path. Boom, points ahead. Boom, Lark points another head. We get out to the back, to the back, to the road, and the road. So we're coming back through the cover, and we hit the road. And I, I got down in the ditch. And I, and so we had backtracked and I looked up the ditch and I thought, and this is a one out of 20, this is a one out of 20 scenario. I thought if I was a rooster, I would have run up this, I'm going to use a bad word here. I'm going to run up this damn ditch. (laughs) I took three steps to my right up the middle of the ditch 
and out goes the biggest rooster you ever saw. Mm. And I got it. And, and I'll admit, because I always tell the truth, it took me three shots. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And it took me three shots to catch up. And uh, a runner, Lark, ran it down. Mm. It, it doesn't always work perfectly. They don't always hit the ice and skid. But we got it. Why did we get that bird? One, we hunted our way back. We just didn't hop mm -hmm. on the edge and take the easy route back. We hunted the same cover back. So that's hunt back through. And it works, believe me. And two, I even took a side trip on my hunt back <laughs> through. And oh, by the way, I was going <clears throat> slow. So hunt back through. Don't be. If something looked good and there's tracks there, why leave? Go back through it. So, Carp, your three mechanical tips are hunt slow, take side trips, and go back through. So, Marissa, I teased that I think I could tie all that together for how I know you and I share perspective of enjoying type body. Do you know what I'm going to say? Always follow the dog. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that is that was that was part B. True. Um, that's just all of it. In it is right. Um, but that so part B of always follow the dog. But my part A when I think about hunting slow, taking side trips, and hunting back through, um, it's hunting alone. Yeah. Yep. Late season hunting, and that now carp in in your stories you talked about. Okay, you're hunting the sorghum and the rest of the group left and you're hunting alone, right? Now, you and your 23-year-old son, that's not really hunting alone, but he's your 23-year-old son. He's going to do what you tell him to do. So yeah. they, they're, maybe, they're, maybe not. I don't know. They're, they're well-trained. <laughs> they're probably better trained than my dog, but they, they know I when we hunt in a, in a pointing dog's ahead of us, I, I say you flank me. Yeah. I say you flank to my right because I carry my gun, port yeah. arms pointing to the left. They always flank me to my right and I direct them and I'll either say I'm going into this point or you come in. And uh, so, yeah, they, they know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it made me, th as you think about those three things, hunt slow, take side trips, hunt back through. Late season hunting is a wonderful time to go by yourself, enjoy the experience, take all the pressure off. And yes, Marissa, always follow the dog. What, what do you think? Is that, is that good analysis? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely think that, you know, late season hunting, especially when you're out there by yourself, it allows for some time to reflect. Um, mm -hmm. You can reflect on you know, previous hunts, you can reflect on the previous year. Um, I mean, it's just a really neat time to be out there on the landscape by yourself with the dog. Um, and it does really help with some of that, you know, walk slow. I historically was a very fast walker. Um, and it's taken some time for me to learn to kind of slow down. And I've had a lot of experiences where I'm standing there waiting for the dog to work a scent. And there's a, a rooster that busts, you know, to the side of me mm. because it was stressed out with me standing there. I think yeah. that happens a lot more than we ever want to admit. Um, and I, I'm not a very slow person. I'm kind of a go-go all the time. And it's taken a lot for me to learn how to just slow down, um, let the dog do its work and, you know, just see what happens. Um, I'd also, I do want to mention, you know, with these mechanics, one thing that 
I, I've noticed over the years and I share with people, I think some people kind of roll their eyes at me when I say it, but, um, and it, it helps when you move slow too, is, you know, try and be a little bit more quiet in the late season than you are early season. Mm -hmm. Those birds know what slamming the car door sound, you know, they know what that sound is. They know what, um, you know, the dogs jumping out are. And when you're walking slow through the cover, you're keeping your dog a little bit closer to you. So they're not bumping birds. Um, it allows that sound to kind of dampen a little bit and you can sometimes sneak up on one, not always, but I do think it helps a little bit. Yeah. And that speaks again to hunting alone mm -hmm. when you're not chattering with somebody else. And, and uh, especially if you're hunting when there's snow on the ground that can reverberate the sound and, you know, things, things are quieter when there's snow on the ground. Um, most of the time, unless you're walking crunchy snow, which, <laughs> which we don't have yet. Um, I'm going to ask you both for your closing thoughts, but before I do, um, I want to once again, thank um, the sponsors for this month's path to the uplands content, sound gear, sport dog, Alps outdoors and federal ammunition. Thank you so much for bringing the path to the uplands content series forward to all of our, listeners, readers, and watchers out there. Um, one other tip before we'll go to, to Carp for his closing thought, and that's um, late season, especially when there's snow on the ground, uh, take the time to take some photos. Um, the colors of a beautiful rooster on the canvas of uh, a white background of powdery snow it doesn't get any better. And take those, take those pictures with that bird dog and like a uh, carp story of that, that, that long tail rooster that came after 26,000 steps. You'll, uh, you'll remember it in your mind's eye forever, but a photo hanging on the wall uh, makes it crystal clear too. Um, carp, your final thoughts for uh, late season pheasant hunting tips. Well, the, the thought I put in my, my, blog post, which was one of the inspirations for this podcast, uh, the path to late season pheasant hunting success was give me one late season warrior, warrior of a rooster over an early season limit for a memory that stays with you forever. And I think, you, you know, you just talked about it, the 26,000 steps. Hopefully it doesn't take everybody that many steps, <laughs> but it's that, that day it did. And the effort matters, but it's also a simple, things are simple, right? The equation is it's the late season. The, the roosters are numbered now. This is the, these are the ones we remember, the late season ones. These are the ones that carry us through to next season. Uh, so that, that's very, that's, that's so important um, that we're, we're building the memory bank and these late season birds just build onto that memory bank. I, I guess I'll finish with this is, you know, we talked about the mindset and it's just, just be positive and go out and hunt and enjoy yourself. I, I guess I'll leave with two stories and neither of them involve killing a pheasant, by the way. <laughs> the first one is on our way out to South Dakota for my recent four day late season foray, which had ups and downs and big success. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it failures, but birdless days is the first day we stopped at a beautiful place 
North Central South Dakota, public land, all of it. And it had been pretty rough weather coming out. It was like a seven, eight hour, seven hour trip getting out there. Fortunately, we left early in the morning. There were two hours left to hunt in the day. The sky had cleared off. The wind laid down, which was maybe why the bird hunting was tough because it was so still and so quiet, but it was so beautiful. December days go fast. And we had, I, I was all, all by myself with my dog and some of the most beautiful cover you ever saw. We pointed two hens and th those two hours just out there in the quiet after a long drive with the potential to get a bird, any, any one of those moments a rooster could have gone up. And I remember that as much as the birds I shot on that trip, just that two hours in the cold, in the fresh snow, it, you can smell the snow, you can smell the cattails, you can smell the blue stem. Yeah, I can, I have a little bell on my dog. It was just joyous. So I'll leave you with a second thought before we hear what Marissa has to say. And that is the day that I, my 20, we'll call it the 26,357 step rooster. And oh, by the way, it's going to be a little story in Pheasants Forever Journal. It'll, but I'm calling it the all day bird. So look for that. But at the end of that day, I, we got back to the car and it wasn't long. The, the sun was almost down. And I put the bird out and we sat down and it was my dog and I, and the sun was setting. And I, almost, I didn't want it to end, even though I was starting to get cold. I mean, the temperature is dropping from 30 down to 15 fast. And you know what happened? A rooster cackled. <laughs> and you know what happened? Five or six more cackled from out there. And, and there was an adjoining WPA. And I could hear them over there. And it was a chain reaction. And I would guess there were a dozen roosters out there. And pheasants have a long middle toe. And they were sticking that up at me. <laughs> and, and they were laughing at me. And I thought, you just keep laughing because I'll be back. And whether I get you or not, I'm going to have a hell of a time chasing you. And uh, that's what that's what late season pheasants are about. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with that carp. Um, you know, I I would say give me the quiet of the uplands in the winter over any other season of the year. And you know, you your point carp to the fact that the days are so short in the winter. You just got to take advantage of the the hours of light that you have and you know go alone and enjoy the the quiet the beauty of it um you know we had i i took out my young dog and she had one of the best days that i think she's ever had hunting and every single bird that she pointed every single bird that flushed was a hen so we didn't bag anything but it was just a remarkable experience that i'll never forget and, you know, those are the moments that we live for. Yeah, a bird in the bag is, is really sweet. But um, just don't forget to enjoy yourself. And uh, as we all said on the show, you know, just keep your expectations in check and, you know, really remember what you're doing out there and, and what we're all doing it for and why we're continuing to, to fight the good fight for, for conservation and habitat. Um, one last closing thought, and I am embarrassed that I forgot to mention this this entire show, especially when we were talking about hell holes. This is for the veteran hunters out there, and I've got one word for you, kosha. 
Uh, if you're new to upland hunting, I would say avoid kosha like the plague for the winter. <laughs> it is my least favorite uh, cover to hunt, but uh, the birds are definitely there. So if you're feeling brave, maybe check out uh, this last year's rooster road trip or Nebraska's rooster road trip to see what we're talking about. Um, and good luck. Yeah. If you do hunt that kosha, wear a scarf or a buff or something. <laughs> Otherwise, those seeds are going to crawl down your neck and then be in your your shirt the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. So that's a there there are birds to be had in, in kosha. Um, yeah, well played. Well played. <laughs> Um, folks, thank you for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you, whether it's early season, mid-season, or late season, always follow the dog. Something good will arise. Thanks, folks. <laughs>